Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Sweden at Eurovision to my Finland. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. We all know who the real winner was. Justin, how are you after the first round of playoff games? I have to say maybe a little bit underwhelmed. I was expecting a little bit more drama. That being said, both games have been very competitive and very good, but... I'm satisfied nonetheless. We've got, I mean, it's all to play for. Is the cliche, isn't it? Which is, uh, which is what you know. That's going to make the next leg even more so exciting, and it's going to give me what, ex- you know, exactly what I need out of these games. You don't tend to get drama in the first legs, anyway, do you? I can't recall there ever particularly being drama in the first legs. I may be very mistaken on that, but you're right. As long as it's competitive heading into the second legs, it's not like. I mean, the Chef Wednesday game in League One, for example, which <laughs> yeah. looks like that ties over already. We haven't had anything like that. It's been a very competitive first round of games. And now we can look forward to the second games where it's still very much all to play for. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just built up in my own mind a little bit too much. And I'm, I'm expecting 90 mile an hour football pulsating on the edge of your seat kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, that's, that's just my doing and Sky's marketing, I think. But yeah, the second legs is really where it's all to, all to chime in. Let's, let's go. Let's go again. Yeah, well, well, let's have a chat about what we've seen so far. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. So we're going to go over the two first legs of the playoff semi-finals. Talk about both of them, what it means for the second legs coming up in midweek. We've got loads of news for us to talk about from over the past few days, including Valerian Ishmael becoming the new Watford manager. Wiggins players still not being paid. Southampton being relegated to the championship. So we'll talk about all of that and then we'll finish off with the return of Simon Grayson take for late right at the end so Sunderland head into the second leg of their playoff semi-final with a 2-1 lead over Luton what a game what an atmosphere as well Justin it was absolutely electric at the stadium of light wasn't it it really was and I think that really adds to the first legs I mean the the, the CBS was buzzing as well which is fantastic both both sets of fans really did their clubs proud and it's good to see both sets of fans buzzing again because big games need big atmospheres they can quite easily be quiet um if you know fans can be as nervous as um, as players sometimes and that can really impact an atmosphere but it didn't it was it was fantastic and i think you know some of the celebrations from Luton maybe pumped up the crowd a little bit as well at uh, at the stadium alike which is which is always useful but yeah really really good crowd and that definitely served the game i think when you've got players like jack clark and whatnot yeah really flair players they get the crowd up and going and off the seat um and that sort of anticipation really adds to the game as well. So, yeah, top, top crowd and, uh, yeah, full 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 marks for Sunderland for showing up, the supporters. Yeah, I thought Luton were the better team in the first half, Sunderland in the second. Tony Mowbray admitted before the game that it was the shortest defence in the league. <laughs> Luton were clearly doing all they can to exploit it in the first half. Every time they got into a wide position, the ball was just floated into the box with the hope that Adebayo or... Morris would get on the end of it. It was like firing mortars in World War Two into the uh, into the opposition <laughs> base. You had so many Luton players wearing white bandanas swarming around the pitch as well. They were right in the uh, Sunderland players' faces, weren't they? However, Sunderland still looked dangerous, even though they weren't necessarily the better side in that first half. Then the second half, Sunderland dominated. Luton mm. really struggled to keep hold of the ball. When they did, they tried to get it 
to play it forwards to one of the front men who seemed to just get suffocated immediately. So over the balance of the 90 minutes, Sunderland were good value for a 2-1 win. I think it's a very fair scoreline. It helps when you've got players like Emma Diallo, of course, who can just pull something out of nowhere. What a free kick that was, Justin. I think the fact that they Pritchard whispered into Diallo's ear just before he took the free kick saying, I'm going to shift this across to you. Have a punt, son. I don't. I didn't. I'm not quoting Pritchard here. I'm assuming it was along those lines. Um, but uh, you know, it's just that sort of backing from his teammate that he's got the quality to do that. And again, just to do it at 21 years old is fantastic. But yeah, it was, it was an incredibly precise finish, and we've seen him do that time and time again. So again, just that confidence in his ability to pull pull that off in what was a pretty difficult angle, I think, just to take it from a you know a dead ball. So yeah, kudos there to Pritchard because I don't think Diallo would have been switched on to try something like that. It's the experience of Pritchard um, for giving him the the ear to do it. So yeah, it was a, it was a really good goal, really well worked as well, and it got the crowd up. Sunderland just didn't turn at that point, but it certainly gave them a lot of momentum going into that second half. Yeah, as soon as the ball leaves his foot, you can tell he's connected with it perfectly. It absolutely flies off his boot. And from that point, it's like a guided missile into the top left-hand corner. It was a real beauty. And he's that kind of X-factor player, isn't he, that a lot of teams in the Championship haven't really had all season. He has been that X-factor for Sunderland on so many occasions in the second half of the season, particularly. Tony Mowbray's reaction made me laugh as well. I think he's the coolest 59-year-old man in the world. He is great. But Diallo was excellent. Jack Clark was a menace all game. Patrick Roberts played well as well, considering he was being asked to fill in at right-back, which I'm not sure he's ever had to do before probably won't ever have to do again. Worth saying with Sunderland's injury problems, it is remarkable how well they've been playing for a good few months now. Mm -hmm. They've got virtually no defenders, but are still playing as well as this. They've beaten one of the best sides in the division in the first leg of the playoffs. For Luton, marvellous Nakamba was everywhere. He was pushing his luck a bit with regards to staying on the pitch, but he played well. Both wing-backs played really well too. It was a good game between two different sides with different styles, and it sets us up very nicely for the second leg at the Kenny. We both thought Luton would win in the semi-final, Justin. Do you still think that's the case? It's quite difficult to say, just because the amount of freedom and the transitions and how quick Sunderland were on those transitions gives me a lot of confidence going into that second leg in terms of Sunderland's perspective and they've got the ability to do things off the cuff you know if they're if they're up against it against Luton and Luton are dominating at the Kenny um, they've got Diallo who can just pop up with something magical or Clark can can take on drama uh, you know, get to the byline and put a decent ball in and, and cause issues that way so they've got difference makers in their team which is, is a big big plus so I'm, I'm whilst I'm not significantly siding with Sunderland here I, I am a little bit nervous from a Luton perspective, although the home advantage is going to be a massive positive. But they've got to really up their performance because I thought that second half they were they were so poor. And as I say, Sunderland were so much quicker. They looked so much quicker. Their transitions, getting back into shape, counter-pressing, they were just a lot quicker than Luton were. And Luton seemed to stop. They've, they've run out of ideas and they really need to, to, to get going again and get going from the start at, uh, at Kenilworth Road in midweek. So you're going for a Luton win? I, I'm going to go for a Luton win, but it's a reluctant Luton win just because I still think they've got a little bit more than Sunderland have. But that second half performance doesn't give me a lot of confidence or as much confidence as I would have before. I think it's going to be a very different game because 
first of all, you're going from the biggest stadium in the championship to the smallest, I think. So I could definitely see this one being a bit scrappier with a different atmosphere to what we saw in the first leg. I still think Luton will win the tie because Sunderland have got a difficult decision to make. Do they sit back, hold on to the lead or treat it like it's nil-nil and try to extend their advantage? If they sit back, I think they'll be in trouble because Luton did exploit the height advantage on a few occasions in the first leg. So I don't think Sunderland will be able to hold on for 90 minutes if they were to do that. So they've got to take the game to Luton. And with the size of the Kenworth Road pitch, the fans being on top of them as well, Sunderland may struggle to be as expressive as they like to be. So I reckon Luton will get back into the game. So I'll stick with them to go through, although it wouldn't surprise me if... Luton managed to get a one goal winning margin and it went to extra time in this one because I think there's not much separating these two sides. Let's go to the other game, Justin. Coventry and Middlesbrough played out a 0-0 draw on Sunday afternoon. Not a great game in comparison to the other semi-final, it's got to be said. It did feel like quite a tense contest, didn't it? Coventry probably looked the most dangerous, but Middlesbrough, without a doubt, had the best chances. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yes and no. I thought Middlesbrough looked relatively comfortable for for, for most of the game. Um, Cov obviously had their moments, but Middlesbrough, as you say, had the better chances. Zach Pom had one where he where he hit the bar. Um, I think he had another one as well where he just didn't quite time his run right. So yeah, I think Middlesbrough had the best chances, and I think I, I'd argue that Middlesbrough were maybe slightly better. But this was as even as you get in terms of the actual game. So to say. One team is better than the other would be pretty harsh on, on whoever because, as I say, Middlesbrough defended brilliantly. Coventry really, I think, struggled to get going at times, struggled to get the Yokerez into, into the game when he, when he needed to be. Um, so, yeah, I think they cancelled each other out. So, quite harsh to, to swing swing one way or another. Jim Rappam had the two best moments. More often than not, he puts those two chances away. Otherwise, there wasn't much else in the way of great opportunities. Zach Steffen in the Middlesbrough goal didn't have a save to make. The Middlesbrough backline protected him very well, and that's not something that's been said too often, especially recently, has it? Middlesbrough are very much a front foot kind of team, and the defensive side of the game is something which has been a bit of a weakness for them, but they defended really well here. I think it says a lot that both Victor Jokerez and Cameron Archer barely had any impact on the game at all. Whatever the case, this result definitely suits Middlesbrough, doesn't it? Michael Carrick will be very satisfied with taking a draw back to the Riverside. Yeah, without doubt, it's it's going to be again another good atmosphere at the Riverside. Big games at the Riverside are always are always incredible. Um, and I, I'm just thinking back to that Brentford game back in I don't know it was 2015 with the playoffs where where they really turned up and 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 blew and blew Brentford away. And I think maybe Middlesbrough might have a that sort of edge to them going into this one. And I, I think if as well if they can repeat this defensive performance because they kept Giocares quiet. Hamer didn't have his passing. Uh, his passing channels available to him that he would have in, in, in other games for Alex Mauer did a really good job tidying possession and again cutting those passing channels into Giocres if they can replicate that defensive performance a home game crowds crowds on the forward thinking players yeah I think Middlesbrough can can uh, can really push on that being said Coventry a good counter-attacking side as we know they might soak up the pressure incredibly well and break when they want to so yeah tight. it's going to be a tight game again but certainly geared up for a good one I fancied Middlesbrough to win this tie before the first leg. After this result, I'd say I'm now even more confident. I think Coventry had to make the most of the first leg being at home. Even just a 1-0 win 
they've got something to hold on to and then all the pressures on Middlesbrough at home Coventry could then hit them on the counter as well we know what Victor Victor Jacques is like on the counter but with it being all square it's tricky because Middlesbrough could quite easily turn it on and put Coventry to the sword and Mm -hmm. maybe even tear them apart so it's going to be very difficult for Coventry to get through from this stage I'd say it's the playoffs there's definitely been more unlikely things that have happened you've got to fancy Middlesbrough to get hit through from this point here haven't you you made the good point of Middlesbrough can switch on in the space of 10 minutes have a 10 minute spell where they blow teams away and then they just manage the game out from there and I think it'll be that sort of that sort of game where they have that 10 minute spell maybe score once or twice as they have done on repeated occasions this isn't um, this is discrediting Coventry at all Middlesbrough have done it to you know very capable teams this season. There's going to be a you know a ten minute spell where you know, Middlesbrough can just switch it on and and maybe score one or two, and it. it just pulls the game away from Coventry a little bit. Coventry have got a lot a lot of endeavour, but you think a two goal cushion um, with this Middlesbrough team, Middlesbrough team might just see them through to the end. So yeah, I'm siding with Middlesbrough. A lot more confident in this game than I'm perhaps in the uh, Sunderland Luton game in terms of coming to a verdict. So yeah, certainly certainly thinking Borough might uh, might edge it. I still think it's going to be tight, but. You just think home advantage is going to swing swing significantly towards Middlesbrough. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say, Justin. I think at this stage, if you were going to put a lot of money on a team to be in the final, you'd say Middlesbrough, wouldn't you? The other the other leg or the semi final, rather. Very difficult to call this one. It's in some Middlesbrough's hands, isn't it? So. Let's see how that goes on Tuesday and Wednesday when we have the return legs. Let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some news in the championship from the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Southampton have been relegated to the Championship. They'll play in the second tier for the first time in 11 years after being bottom of the Premier League for virtually the entirety of the season. Just then, they've looked like they're going to be in the Championship again for quite some time. How do you reckon they will do back in the second tier? They've got a fairly decent squad for a Championship level team I think they've got some quality players you know Adam Armstrong's coming down into the championship you'd expect him to to score goals Shay Adams again if he stays expect him to score goals at championship level Joe Rebo as well they're probably going to lose the likes of Kyle Walker Peters um, James Ward-Prowse to to Premier League vultures but I still think they've got a more than capable squad of at least pushing for a promotion once again there's there's going to be worse teams than them and they've got the resource and um resource and recruitment uh, recruitment now I think to, to, to replace those outgoing players or be all that you know, that being said the recruitment has been poor over recent years and reading a report the, re- the recruitment has been very passive uh, data led not not nothing too subjective you know, nothing visible on the eye um, which is probably why they're, they're where they are where they are at the moment so yeah I expect them to be a competitive team pushing for promotion um, but there's there's some big decisions that need to be made you know first and foremost, a manager, and then making sure that they've got a team capable of pushing for, for, for promotion, which is a difficult thing to, to do when you're coming down from the Premier League and have had a bad a season as them. 
Yeah, it's been a really poor season for Southampton. There's no two ways about it. It's one of those relegations where they haven't been embarrassingly bad. They've just been consistently well below par pretty much all season. And I predicted them to go down before the season started, as did quite a few people. The main reason for that was because their recruitment last summer was shocking. The CEO, Rasmus Ankerson, used to be in charge at Brentford and was behind a lot of the brilliant recruitment they did there. But you get the impression he tried to change too much too soon and not bringing in a striker when they badly needed one was also a bit of a, a, a bit of a misstep on his behalf. Sacking, sacking Ralph Harsenhutl and bringing in Nathan Jones obviously didn't go too well either. Harsenhutl looked as if he had to go because he fell out with a number of players. Nathan Jones, I think, could be a good manager at Premier League level, but I think he needs to take a club there as opposed to being drafted into one. That's beside the point, though. How will they do in the Championship? Look, it's not unheard of for clubs to get relegated without much fight and still get promoted the next season. Norwich are an example of that a couple of years ago. They were awful in the Premier League, but then breezed to promotion the season afterwards. They're going to lose some big names like your James Ward-Prowse's, Romeo Lavia, Cal Walker-Peters, those kind of names. They've got a big squad though, a massive squad, and there'll still be plenty of very talented players there next season. I mean, they spent 125 million quid last season. (laughs) So there's some big names there and some very talented players at their disposal who obviously... They're not all going to leave. It's not going to be a mass exodus. There'll probably be quite a few players leaving, but there's still going to be some hanging about. They've also got a very rich owner too, who I imagine will want to get back to the Premier League ASAP. So anyone who's expecting Southampton to seriously struggle next season, I think you'll be mistaken. Will they get promoted? Let's see who else is coming down first. I think they also need to get the manager sorted as well because... Ruben Sellers looks like he won't be sticking around, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Valerian Ishmael has been appointed the new head coach of Watford. Chris Wilders left the club after his short-term deal came to an end. Big Val's back, Justin. I spent a lot of dog walks mulling over whether or not this is a good appointment. Um, this, this, this you know, since he has been announced, and I, I think it is a good appointment. But the recruitment's got to be right. The recruitment's got to to be consistent. It's got to tie in with Valerian Ishmael's philosophy for example if you can think back to that Barnsley spell Jack Bolton Bradley Collins spent a lot of time as sweeper keepers very high up the pitch can you imagine Daniel Batman doing that no Mm. he's quite tall a bit clumsy as we saw on the final day or I can't remember which game it was now where he got sent off um, a couple of weeks ago so yeah he's 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 not exactly a sweeper keeper is he Um, this is obviously a Ben Ben Manga led appointment, the football head of football operations, however you want to title him, director of football, because um, of his experience in, in Germany or Frankfurt. And I think Ishmael's a, a good fit. I know you're not a, not a massive fan of him, but I think again, if the recruitment's right and ties him with Ishmael's philosophy, I think it could be a very very good spell. But there's always a caveat with Watford, isn't there? If he doesn't get enough points by the end of September, he's gonna he's gonna be gone, isn't he? Um, I just hope I just hope it clicks because I like Ishmael a lot. Who do, you, who do you think I'm not a big fan of? I didn't think you liked Ishmael. I thought we discussed this the other week and you weren't, weren't a big fan of it. Well, I, I'm not a big... I, I, don't, I haven't got anything against Ishmael personally. I think he did a brilliant job at Barnsley. This appointment, that's yeah. another question. Very interesting that Watford haven't revealed how long this contract is. I'm going to assume 
it's not very long, which would imply Watford won't be hanging about if this doesn't go very well. I know it's very unlike Watford, not giving their managers a chance, but it's it's just a feeling I've got. I'll say it right now. I don't think this is a good appointment. Watford have gone through Rob Edwards, Slavon Bilic, Chris Wilder, and now Valerian Ishmael. All of those managers have completely different styles of play. If Watford were sacking managers, but at least hiring guys with a similar philosophy, I could somewhat understand what they're doing. This is just mental, though. It's like starting a band and saying, we're going to do prog rock. Then after a couple of months, decide to change to heavy metal. Then change again a couple of months later to indie rock. What is the plan here? I just don't get it. Does the squad from last season look like it's suited to playing Ishmael Ball? Absolutely not. It's about working your socks off. This team from the past few months I saw was not working its socks off. My personal belief is that following Ishmael is better suited to managing a club that's punching above its weight. A club that doesn't have very talented players. I think that suits his style better. When you're a Watford or a West Brom, for example... They need to be dominating most games with the players they have. Valerian Ishmael doesn't know how to do that, judging from his West Brom spell. So I simply cannot see this one going well. Justin, correct me if I'm wrong. You've made some good points. And the obvious caveats, again, a lot of dog walks thinking about it. The obvious caveats for Ishmael is that with his Barnsley squad, there are a lot of teams that would have not sat so deep against Barnsley because they would have fancied a result against Barnsley because at that point, Barnsley were punching above their weight. West Brom are very, very different. Teams sat back, they sat deep. Men Ishmael Ball was very difficult to break down because it's all about exploiting space in behind defenders, counter-pressing in those areas and it's you know, causing damage that way. And that's where Ishmael went wrong a little bit. That's why the spell dropped off. Not being, you know, It's worth pointing out that the players vastly underperformed under Ishmael because statistically, very low XG conceded, very high XG um, going forwards, creating chances. Just yeah, players underperformed, but he failed to adapt his style of play to 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 be able to break those teams playing deep down, um, and that's where it got a bit stagnant and very difficult to watch for West Brom fans. So there are the obvious caveats for Ishmael. But you'd hope during the last two spells at West Brom and Besiktas, he has worked on them. He has found ways to improve his style of play that can get around those issues. But I disagree. I do like the appointment. There are obvious caveats with it. Um, but for me, I, I think you know having a manager like Ishmael is probably. I mean, where else do they turn? I think that's the point you've got to make. What? Who else is next? Who can be next for Watford? They've got to try everyone, haven't they? I'm not sure. I think they could have gone down a very different route. I would have been interested to see what Francesco Farioli would have been like. He was the one who they were linked with for a long time, but that fell through for whatever reason. You know, Ishmael's now been in charge of two clubs who are expected to do well in their respective leagues, West Brom and Besiktas, and both times it's not gone very well. He only lasted six or seven months at Besiktas, so now that is at Watford, another team who are expected to be on the front foot and dominated games and do well in their respective league. I'm not too sure, so knowing Watford, it wouldn't be surprised me if he's out the door by Christmas time, but we'll have to wait and see. Sticking with manager news, there's been mixed reports about who the next Blackpool manager is going to be. Footy Insider has claimed they're set to reappoint Gary Bowyer. However, local media has rubbished those reports. We'll comment on that when someone does get the job, whether it's Gary Bowyer or not. John O'Shea has left his coaching role at Stoke. Reach is reporting he's one of those being considered for the Reading job, which 
interesting, I, I guess. Chris Wilder is still the favourite for that one. I, I just cannot see that happening now. I'd be amazed if Chris Wilder did drop down to League One, but we'll wait and see on that. Away from managers then, and Wigan defender Stephen Colker has once again criticised the club's owners after failing to pay player wages. We told you on Tuesday about how some players have been paid, but others haven't, mainly those who are out of contract this summer. They were told they were going to get paid last Tuesday, and they didn't. And at the time of recording, they haven't still been paid, as far as I'm aware. That led to Colker posting the following on LinkedIn. I might buy a football club next week, put my sponsorship all around the stadium, sign loads of players, promise the fans I am committed, and then when it comes to payday, just pay five or six players who I think are an asset to the club. Could you imagine? Again, my thoughts are with the good people of Wigan. You deserve better. It's a very sad state of affairs. Fair play again to Colker for speaking out. He's a senior player and his voice will mean a lot more if it's coming from someone like him who's such a well-respected player in the game. Mm-hmm. It's a sad situation they're in there, isn't it? Because it shouldn't be happening in the first place. But even if the players do get paid in the next week or so, I just think it's going to keep happening, Justin. Yeah, it's going to keep happening and it's going to hold Wigan back, essentially. they. I, I, I'm confident that if they can get the situation sorted, get a stable ownership or the ownership becomes stable and um, they make one or two additions under Sean Maloney, I'm confident that Wigan could push for promotion in League One next season. I like Maloney a hell of a lot, but unfortunately he's not got an ownership that is is giving you any confidence that they can do something. Um, It's it's, To to be at this point where players have even failed to be paid at least twice in a season, that is almost catastrophic. That's that's bad. So to do it as many times as Wigan have is, is even worse. And then when you've got players calling them out, calling the ownership out, currently contracted players calling the ownership out not very harmonious it doesn't make you feel confident going into the next season so yeah vastly prophetic from the current ownership players are right to speak out keep speaking out because the, the club aren't giving the club or the EFL aren't giving supporters enough um, enough communications to make them feel confident that the club's being ran correctly or being ran with care I think that's the key thing yeah the EFL have got to intervene at this point haven't they because the owners clearly don't have the funds to regularly put money towards player wages, which is quite a bad place to be in. So they've got to intervene, otherwise this is just going to keep happening and the EFL can't just sit there and keep handing out points deductions. That's clearly not going to help in this situation, is it? Because the owners simply don't have enough money from the sounds of it. So there's got to, something has got to change here and the EFL's got to stand up and I don't know what they do, Personally, I don't think we've ever had a situation like this as mm. far as I'm aware. So th- there's got to be some sort of change, though. Otherwise, this situation is only going to get worse and worse. VAR is going to be used in the Championship Playoff Final again this season. It comes after the controversy of last season where Huddersfield had two rather blatant penalties turned down. What do you think of this, Justin? Firstly, it doesn't make sense that it's being used in the final and not the semi-finals. The semi-finals have as much impact on who gets to the finals. So why isn't it, why isn't it important enough to use that? I know there's the ground situation where VAR isn't set up to be in championship grounds, but still, nonetheless, you either have it or you don't. It's as simple as that. And we saw last season that it should have had an impact. It didn't. I think that's more down to personnel in charge of VAR on the day. That's where the issue is, not actually VAR. I think VAR does its job. It's just the officials, we all know, have been pretty poor at being VAR officials, if that makes sense. So I don't think it should be used 
if it isn't used in the semi-finals. If it is used in the semi-finals, it makes sense to use it in the final, vice versa. As I say, if it's if it's ran correctly and, and ran to <laughs> ran to the letter of the law, it's gonna work. If it isn't, then we get the situation like we did with, with John Moss and Huddersfield last season. Yeah, I think if it's not been used in the league, it simply shouldn't be used in the playoff final. It just doesn't really make much sense for me particularly, especially when it basically stole all the headlines from that day, didn't it? We Mm -hmm. spent most of the episode last season reviewing the playoff final, talking more about VAR than we were about the actual game. And that's a sad position for it to be in because it's the headline game. It's the showcase game of the championship, isn't it? And when... VAR was as farcical as it was I'm just fearful that something like that will happen again so I don't think it should have been used again in this final hopefully there's not as much controversy as there was last season although I'm not sure that's uh, going to be the case or not. Birmingham have been given a suspended two-point deduction. It's for breaching EFL rules related to the owners and directors test last year when a consortium involving former footballer Maxi Lopez took control of the club without approval. Did say at the time that it seemed a bit strange what was going on there and I wouldn't have been surprised if they got in trouble for it. Here we are. Although I'm not sure exactly how that two-point deduction would be incurred either. I, I, I tried to find out, but I really, really struggled to find out how Birmingham could get an actual points deduction next season. But uh, we'll leave that one there. Let's go to transfer news then. Ben Brereton Diaz has confirmed he's leaving Blackburn this summer. He'd virtually confirmed it a few months ago, but now it's official. He's expected to be joining Villarreal. How do you think he'll do in Spain, Justin? It's hard to say because up until the final game of the season against Millwall, He'd had a pretty lackluster second half of the season, in my opinion. I, I expected a little bit more from him. Didn't really step up, whether that's fatigue or style of play not really suiting him. I, I don't know. But Villarreal, uh, the people's team, aren't they? They're, an, they're a team that everyone wants to get behind. And if you can have an impact there and, and really grow as a footballer, then yeah, certainly will be worth keeping an eye on his, his, his career. But it's a good move for him. Um, it, it's, it's hopefully... I mean, it's not going to net Blackburn any money, but everyone's going to wish him well. It's a shame that you know he wasn't sold for fifteen million that could be reinvested into Blackburn. But that being said, that's that's last season's last season's problem. But yeah, I think he will do okay. He's a he's a but yeah, he's got he's got an instinct, hasn't he, to to score goals, which is good. That's that's the real thing that's been developed. And Tony Murray deserves a big big round of applause for that because without his coaching and and confidence in him, I don't think he'd be getting this move to Villarreal. Simple as that. Yeah, I'm not sure about Brereton Diaz. I think this is a great move for him. Mm-hmm. I think this was pretty much as good a move as he could have got. His last two seasons in the championship, he started off brilliantly and scored a load of goals in the first half of the season and then dropped off in the second half of yeah. the season on both occasions. I think he's a good player, but he's not one of those who I look at and think immediately he's too good for the championship. I think he's like a top-end championship player, but I don't think he's over the threshold for should be playing at a higher level particularly. I reckon it'd be a good player to have off the bench maybe in the Premier League, but if I was a Premier League club, I wouldn't be tripping over myself to sign him, even if it's on a free transfer. So, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to be a roaring success and I wouldn't be totally surprised if I'm being, if I'm being honest that he won't be back in the Championship in a in a few seasons' time. Burnley have signed defender Jordan Bayer on a four-year deal from Borussia Mönchengladbach after a loan spell at Turf Moor, without a doubt one of the best defenders in the division last season. So a great start to their summer business, getting him in, Justin. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had a lot of Burnley fans telling us that he was better than Taylor Harwood Bellis so that last season, which is absolutely fair enough. It's our opinion, it's our team of the season. Obviously, we included Taylor Harwood Bellis over Jordan Bayo, but to get this over the line and get it done and dusted early is it is a massive plus and it helps Burnley build for, for the Premier League. Again, doing it early, the Premier League season's not even done yet, so Premier League teams' plans aren't in full flow. So, yeah, to be getting these deals over the line and players who have played so well on loan, rewarding them with a permanent move. Yeah, it's, it's a step in the, a, the right direction for Burnley. Yeah, big fan of the move. He's going to be a huge asset to, to Burnley over the coming years. Yeah, I really rate Bayer as a player. I think he's fan, he's a fantastic defender. When it comes to our team of the season, it was very close between Bayer and Harwood Bellis once it. I think Harwood Bellis's form in the first half of the season maybe mm. also helped in the debate between those two. But looking at Burnley, a, a, a big kind of indicator of how well they'll do in the Premier League next season will be how many of the loan players they've had this season they get back in permanent deals or on loan again. Getting Bayer back is going to be really important. I, I think they may get Teller back as well. Ian Martson they've been linked with. Howard Bellis has said he'd like to go back to Burnley next season. So, you know, get those four players back and that's a great start for them, isn't it? So I'm, I'm very intrigued to see who Burnley get in through the door over the next summer. It's that time of the year now when clubs begin to release their retained lists for the summer. Now, Stokes is quite an interesting one with some big names on it. Nick Powell, Morgan Fox, Sam Klukas, Phil Jagielka, Aidan Flint, just some of the names on there. Morgan Fox is the surprise one. He's been a regular for them all season. Only missed six games. Has been one of their better players, Justin. I didn't see that one coming and I think quite a few Stoke fans didn't see that one coming. Yeah, it is a surprise. I think he's one of those, it's a very solid defender. Um, but it might be a tactical thing from Alex Neal. It might be a case of maybe terms couldn't be agreed on on a new contract. Yeah, discussions probably would have taken place a long time ago. Maybe both parties were, were fairly keen on either a significantly improved deal because of his importance, but his consistency. Uh, and Stoke just weren't maybe committed to that. Yeah, a lot goes on behind the scenes that we don't know, but it's certainly a surprise to see him, to see him leave. I think it's a little bit of a surprise maybe that Nick Powell... There wasn't more of a um, a push to keep him, but that being said, hasn't played a lot of football over the last 12 months. He had you know, a couple of injury seasons. He does have an impact when he plays, but when he plays, is is few and far between. So, yeah, maybe a reshuffling of the budget there at Stoke and a, and a, a different a different uh, route forward from Alex Neal. So, yeah, quite a few big names there, and I'm sure there'll be a few clubs keen on quite a few of those players. Sam Klukas, again, if he can get fit, would be a very good addition at Championship level. Yeah, Nick Powell's had a rather drastic drop-off. Injuries obviously haven't helped with that. Alex Neal doesn't seem like he's a big fan, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up next. I know Wigan have been linked. I imagine he's he must be better than League One. Yeah, if he wants about. to get paid, he wouldn't go there. So, <laughs> the good point is not the most attractive club to go to at the moment. Also, Stoke paid six million for Sam Klukas in 2018. Now he's leaving on a free mm. dearie me. Elsewhere, Luke Amos and Leon Balogun are among six players released by QPR. Both played quite a few games for them this season. Meanwhile, Taylor, Rich Taylor Richards has joined on a permanent deal. Luton captain Sonny Bradley has confirmed he's leaving the club. The defender helped the Hatters get promoted from League One and is one of their longest serving players. And goalkeeper Ainsley Pearce has signed a new four-year contract at Blackburn. He's become the number one at Ewood Park after getting a chance between the sticks when Thomas Kaminsky got injured. Elsewhere, Swansea made a loss of £12.5 million for the 2021-2022 season. They suffered a drop in turnover as parachute payments ended 
Operating losses before player sales jumped to £23 million, with nearly £11 million generated from transfers, including Flynn Downs moving to West Ham. A loss of £12.5 million isn't terrible by championship standards. Not sure that's a good thing, though. And finally, the important championship dates for next season have been revealed, so get your diaries out for the lads. Fixtures will be released on the 22nd of June. The opening games will take place on the weekend of the 5th of August. The player final will be on the 26th of May 2024. Interestingly, it's on a different day to the League's 1 and 2 finals, which I don't think has happened before. Did you get all that, Justin? Uh, yeah, I'll probably just uh, I'll probably just uh, Google it in six months' time um, and, and revisit. It's very, you know, very difficult to keep up with you sometimes. So Six yeah, months' but... time is a bit late. It'll be November, Justin. <laughs> I mean, for the playoffs, I'll certainly keep an eye okay. out for, yeah, for, the, for the fixtures coming out and whatever happens after that, yeah. Let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who do you want to win the playoffs? Emphasis on want there. Uh, Coventry, Luton, Middlesbrough, Sunderland. Justin, who do you want to win the playoffs? I want to see Coventry win them. Like if we're talking about story, if we're talking about where they've come from, what they've had to deal with this season, what a story that would be if they got promoted Via, via the playoffs, it's the same with Luton, really, and, and their rise. Yeah, you know, Sunderland and um, Middlesbrough have both been in the Premier League within the last ten years. So certainly, seeing Coventry and Luton, who have been through it over the last ten years, would be good to see. So yeah, maybe maybe Coventry or or Luton side with those. I think I'd love to see Luton in the Prem just because of the story from non-league. To Premier League would just be amazing. Kenilworth Road in the Premier League speaks for itself. Coventry, I think, I'd like to see in the Premier League, but maybe I, I do worry a bit. Maybe it's a season too soon for them. Um, but I wouldn't rule out that happening in the near future. Anyway, the listeners have given 33% to Sunderland, 26% to Luton, 25% to Middlesbrough, and 16% to Coventry. How will Southampton do in the Championship next season? Top two, top six, top half, somewhere else. Top six. I'm a little bit more confident in them than I was Norwich coming down last season. And I put them in a, a similar category. I just think Southampton, they've got some good, really good, talented young players that they spent a lot of money on. You'd expect them to come good in the Championship next year. Again, just depends on what coach they get. So I'd say top six for now. Maybe might, might change. You know, it might employ David Wagner, for example, and that expectation dropped massively. Yeah, I think right now I'd be saying top six as well. Um, a lot can change in a matter of months, can't it? But at this stage, I'd say top six. Uh, the listeners agree with us. 42% said top six. 33% said top half. 18% said top two. 7% said somewhere else. I've had, I've heard a few people saying there's a chance they could do a Sunderland this no. season. I don't think that's the case. There's one team in the Premier League who are in danger of going down who I think are more likely to fill that void for me. But we'll... Hold on to that to see if they actually do get relegated before uh, I start revealing all on that one. And finally, who should have won Eurovision, Sweden or Finland? Finland. Finland were robbed. Sweden Sweden was a, it was a safe entry from Sweden, from someone who's won it already, which is a grey area for me. Um, Finland, what a what a charming, charming act that was. Yeah, Finland, Finland was robbed. Yeah, Finland, their act was crazy i loved it it was by it was everything eurovision is about all the good bits of eurovision all in one song um sweden i thought 
I was amazed to see that they were favourites of the bookies first of all. And then when I actually heard the song, I was very underwhelmed. And it was a bit shouty. It was a bit boring. was not a fan. So I was amazed when they actually went on to win the bloody thing. 69% of people said Finland. 31% said Sweden. Is it just a British thing? Are we? Are we... Are we, are we the only country who thinks Finland were robbed in this occasion? Oh, no, they won the public vote, didn't they? They got something like 200 votes. A ridiculous amount. They didn't, Sweden didn't get as many, but it was the, the jury... I think that, Finland got 300, didn't they? It was it was an absurd amount, and they certainly won the, mm. the public vote. Um, Sweden clearly charmed, charmed the uh, professionals, which I don't think counts. It's all about the public. I like how you have a good hour or so hearing what the juries vote for and then it being completely yeah. <laughs> rubbished after the hour by uh, the public vote. It always uh, makes me chuckle when I see that. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. I haven't played this for a few weeks, so good to see it return to the podcast after the disaster, which was Lee Camp's Championship Tennis. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and he would say Villa, that's one down. And then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he would lose. So he needs to give me all eight answers. Justin, this week, Simon Grayson isn't giving you a life either. He thinks you should be able to do this in one go. So the question is, can you name for me the last eight teams to lose in a championship playoff semi-final? This should be routine for you, but I, I've been wrong before on that. Um, we'll kick things off, Justin. Can you give me a team who's lost in a championship playoff final? One of the last eight. Playoff final, not semi-final. Semi-final, semi-final, yeah. semi-final sorry. Semi-final. Yeah. Right, okay. We're not counting first legs, just legs overall. For God's sake. Yes, of course. That, that Of course I'm counting semi-finals overall. Well, Luton. Luton yes, won. thank you. Yeah, made it to last year's semis, but lost to Huddersfield. Sheffield United lost to Forest. Yep, they were beaten on penalties by Nottingham Forest last season. That's two down, Justin. Six to go. Uh, and then this is the COVID year. Um I can't remember who Brentford played now. Christ. Well, that's not ideal. Completely mm. forgot who Brentford played. That is an ideal. No. Um, shocking. Complete, mine's gone completely blank. Last eight says to... I mean, I'll go with Leeds because that's the easy one. Yep, they were beaten by Derby in that famous playoff semi-final in 2019. So that's another down. Five to go. Villa beat West Brom in the same year. Yep, Villa beat them on penalties in 2019 when Jed Steer was the hero. So you're halfway there, Justin. So Brentford played Swansea. Swansea beat Barnsley. Yep, Valerie and Ishmael's Reds beaten by Swansea two seasons ago. you got three left. How the hell did Brentford play? <laughs> <laughs> what about the other? You've got the 2020 player final as well, playoffs. Uh, yeah, Fulham beat Brentford in that. Again, I can't recall those playoffs at all. Swansea. Swansea in that again. Yep, Brentford overcame a loss in the first leg to beat them in 2020. What about the other one, Justin? Who did Fulham play? This is the one that caught me off guard because I forgot about this as well. This is the one I thought you might struggle on. Oh, God. It's just a classic case if you just... You'd... You completely forget the losers in these, mm. um, especially the semi-finals. Um, 
Oh, nightmare. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. Can you remember that who Brentford played, or are we just going to have to have a random guess from you? I, I can't remember who Brentford played, no. Um, Don't throw, throw a guess out there. I'm going to throw a guess. I'm, I'll go with Cardiff. Fulham beat Cardiff. Fulham got the better of them in 2020. You're right. That's the one I forgot about. Um, then in that case, just in the last one you got remaining is who Brentford beat a couple of seasons ago. Oh, no. Who did Brentford beat a couple of years ago? Um, which which year was this? Was this 2020 or 2021? 2021. So this was the year they went up when they beat Swansea in the final. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw. Oh Christ! I've got no idea. I don't Time's ticking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five um, seconds. I will throw Watford in. It wasn't Watford. Decent guess. They were talking automatically. Word to the league at that time, but you know. Yeah. Um, no, were they in the league? No. Yes, they were. Yeah, they got promoted that year, didn't they? Yeah, Yeah, top two. Um, Yeah, but it wasn't Watford. The team you were looking for, Bournemouth. And the worst thing is, I think we watched that game live. We did a second-tier watch-along to that game. It's when Asmir Begovic lost his mind and uh, started trying to fight everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good game. Um, There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Justin has fallen foul to Simon Grayson's hateful eight at the final hurdle. Absolutely heartbreaking for yourself, Justin. Devastated. Yeah, devastated. It's been a bad sort of two months of games for me. I mm. just I need I need a break. Um I'm not gonna get it obviously, but you know, just to just to switch off from these games for a couple of weeks would, would be nice. But I'm going I want to go into next season recharged is what I'm saying. Would you well for the summer months, because obviously we're not gonna be doing Diddy or Dinty during this time, do you wanna Kind of rotate Simon Grayson and Take Float. Shall we do that over the next few months? While yeah. we still continue the content? Yeah, why not? Maybe we can throw in some Craig Bryson, some nostalgic Craig Bryson. That, that might be fun. But Yeah, yeah. Why we not? Got, we'll, we'll come we got time. Yeah, I enjoy the games. They're arguably my favourite part of the of the uh, whole episodes because it means we're not going to get shouted out for our opinions and there we go ladies and gentlemen this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on thursday to react to the second legs of the playoff semi-finals so we look forward to seeing you then we'll also do a bit of a mini look ahead to the actual final itself but we'll have more in-depth look aheads over the next few weeks so we look forward to seeing you then this has been the second tier podcast i've been ryan dilks i've been justin peach and a big thank you for listening.